I'm smiling, thinking about how amazing it is that a place like this exists and has been created specifically for children like Kylie, and for caregivers like me. Until I see the executive director. It's clear that she's been waiting for me. Hey there, and welcome to Grit, True Stories That Matter, a weekly podcast on the art and craft of the personal narrative story. Each week, my partner, Kurt, and I tackle one topic or answer one question as best we can to help you craft and tell better, more engaging, more relatable, and more memorable stories. True stories, personal stories, grit stories. This week, our feature storyteller is Jeremy Credlow. Jeremy lives up in Kent, Washington, and he's got a seven-plus-minute story for us. Stick around after Jeremy is done when Kurt and I talk about where to begin your stories. Oh, and by the way, there are a few times which I reference Dr. Seuss songs. I mean stories. It'll make sense when you hear it. Hey, if you listen on Apple, please do us a favor and rate and review this podcast. It lets other people find it. And before we dive in, remember, both Kurt and I do group and individual coaching. If you have an interest, please reach out. We'd love to talk. This Sunday evening, Grit is hosting a 99-second story slam. So if that's something that you're curious about, you want to hear it, or maybe even tell a story, reach out. We'd love to have you. Okay, let's dive in. It's a sunny Sunday afternoon in 2011, and I'm driving to South Bend, Indiana, to pick my granddaughter Kylie up from a rosy place. It's a home away from home for medically fragile children, a hospital that doesn't feel like a hospital, and a place where children can go for a weekend away with others who have severe medical conditions, so that their parents and caregivers can get just a little bit of time to take care of themselves for a change. I've been thinking about Kylie the whole time that she's been gone. She was three now. She'd been neglected and abused at my ex-wife's house, and I'd had no choice but to go to court to get custody of her when she was eight months old. This weekend is the first time since then that she's been away from me overnight, and I am so worried about how she's feeling about that. When she first came to live with me, she would only sleep in 15-minute naps off and on all day and night. When she wasn't sleeping, she was crying or screaming. The doctors couldn't tell me if it was pain due to her brain damage or fear because she couldn't see, but she was often inconsolable. Most of the time, her cerebral palsy caused her neck muscles to be constantly flexed, and she would strain and strain as if she were trying to turn her head around 180 degrees to look behind her. But when I would hold her and read Dr. Seuss stories to her at bedtime every night, her tensed muscles would finally relax, her breathing would slow down, and she would snuggle into my arms until she fell asleep. It took months for her to get to a point where she felt comfortable, where she didn't cry all the time, where she slept through the night. And I'm scared that this experience has set her back, that she doesn't feel safe that I've broken her trust. 
When I checked her in at a rosy place on Friday, I knew she would be in great hands. The executive director, Teal, and the rest of the staff were wonderful, caring people. They had set up interviews with me to learn everything they could about her to help her feel comfortable for the weekend. They had even come to our house to see what Kylie's home life looked like so they could try to mirror it at a rosy place for her. I had brought her favorite blanket, her stuffed elephant, and her CD player to help her feel more at home. Even so, the drop-off had been surprisingly difficult. At least for me. After I'd gotten Kylie settled into her room, I went to sign the guest book. Every page was dedicated to a different child and had information about them. My name is Jenny. I'm seven years old. I live with my mom and dad, my brother Bobby, my dog Charlie, and my cat Snowflake. I like to watch Disney movies and put together puzzles. All of the pages were like that. When I had signed Kylie's page, all I could write was that she was three years old, was blind, and that she lived with her grandfather. In that moment, a huge ball of grief had welled up and lodged in my chest. I thought about how Kylie would never know the love of that type of family, and that she would never be able to play outside with her dog, or see a Disney movie, or put together puzzles and I had started to cry, the past three years of loss pouring out of me unexpectedly. One of the nurses had seen me and held me until I was ready to pull myself together. Now it's two days later, and I'm back at a rosy place, and it's just as beautiful as it was the first time I saw it. It has crushed marble driveways, open landscaping with a pond and a waterfall, and every room inside is a different pastel color, the walls covered in nature-themed murals. The foyer has a floor-to-ceiling aquarium facing the front doorway. The sun just beams down through the huge windows and makes you feel joyous. There isn't a way to walk through the front door and not set your sadness aside. And that's what happens to me. I'm smiling thinking about how amazing it is that a place like this exists and has been created specifically for children like Kylie and for caregivers like me. Until I see the executive director. It's clear that she's been waiting for me. Teal is an amazing woman. She helped to create a rosy place from the birth of the idea to the thankless crusade of finding grants and private donors all the way through to the design and construction of this beautiful facility, just to make this a home away from home for these children. I have so much respect for her and the path she has chosen. She and I have gotten to know each other a little over the last two months. We've had a couple of meetings about Kylie, her medical conditions, her likes and dislikes, and any concerns I might have about her spending the weekend at a rosy place. And while I think Teal's great, I can't think of a reason why she would be here on a Sunday afternoon waiting for me, unless something is very seriously wrong. Instead of shaking my hand or nodding, she steps in and hugs me. She's never hugged me before. We don't have that type of relationship. I take a step back and ask her, what's going on? And then she tells me that at bedtime each night, all the children had gathered in Kylie's room to hear bedtime stories.
They'd sat on the floor around her bed, where I was afraid she was going to feel so alone, and listened to bedtime stories on Kylie's CD player. I hadn't been sure which of us was going to miss our bedtime ritual more, but just in case it was her, I made a CD of myself reading Dr. Seuss books for the nurses to play for her at bedtime so she wouldn't miss my voice. The other children had gathered around her every night to participate in a loving ritual that they didn't have in their own homes. Teal had come into work that day just to make sure that I knew how much that act of love had impacted the staff and all the kids who spent the weekend there, especially Kylie. The next time we showed up at a rosy place for a weekend away, I was going to have a little bit more to put on Kylie's guestbook page. She might not have all the same things that other children have, but she would always have me reading her Dr. Seuss stories at bedtime. And I'd always have that, too. So Jeremy is this dude that I don't even know how I ended up crossing paths with him, but he's a, he's got, he's got a shaved head. He looks like a badass. I, he does martial arts. All right. Well, uh, he also has a sleeve tattoo, I think. <laughs> right. And be behind him when you're talking to him on zoom, I know there's at least one thing mounted on the wall that might have horns. He's like a Viking. But what you're saying is what we pick up on and what we admire about Jeremy, right, is that he's he's got this desire to tell stories. So he has this sort of sensitivity for his experience. He picks up on stuff. Yeah. Well, not only that, but I mean, just the fact of how he lives his life and how he takes care of his family. But I do kind of think, man, look at Jeremy. He's a badass. And he does that. He's got this lovely granddaughter and he is such a badass granddad he's such a he's such a cool guy to talk to because he's really just pretty open and, and honest and he's very thoughtful and so right. uh the other day i was like uh, jeremy um can you get us a new recording uh for the podcast we'd love to get you on this week and he said i'm gonna make what do you say a sincere effort but it's my other granddaughter's birthday and we were emailing and i wrote him back and said first of all jeremy you're the youngest looking uh, <laughs> grandfather yeah, of two yeah. of two that i'll ever lay eyes eyes on he got it done that's another thing done. i wanted to say i was like jeremy you got it he actually did get me the recording that night and it's good love the story when i'm listening to the story i'm thinking about jeremy's relationship with the granddaughter kylie I know he's got another granddaughter, but is probably takes a lot of time and energy. He's clearly all in. I really appreciate the story because it just it seems to be a reflection of a dude who's just all about his family. It just it, that's what it says to me. I'm all into my family. Like I love the shit out of my family. Period. That's a great story. When you, I'm left the feeling, wow, this guy is not fucking around man he's just all into his little girls man he doesn't clobber you over the head with it yeah. either he doesn't wear it on a sleeve it's a part of jeremy and he, it's a lot that he takes on he and again he doesn't he doesn't let you know he doesn't cudgel you over the head 
with it, you know? There's something about a man or a woman you hear tell a story when you realize that the way they're looking at storytelling, it's not that it's not for the faint of heart. You know what? Your stories could have all kinds of warts on it, but I'm going to, I'm going to, st- your, my, your, your, your name's going to stick with me. Cause I know you're going to, you're doing it for the right, for reasons that have really appealed to me. Yeah. This story, he's dropping Kylie off for the first time. She's away from home. Three years old. Dude's probably freaking out, right? He's worried about Kylie's first time away from home which makes total sense i can just imagine him worried what did i just do it was just the right thing yeah and sean you put your finger on it kylie in 2011 she's three years old you know she came to jeremy's house from a place that was dangerous you know she only slept in 15 minute stints and she shrunk away from things. You know, he was her anchor. When he drops her off, I mean, three's young, like you say. And then he's like, this place is beautiful. A Rosie's place is special. This is an opportunity. And then it's an opportunity for Jeremy, too, to just sort of take a deep breath, right? To go the extra mile for these kids who need an extra mile, you need to recharge your batteries. And I think what Jeremy's saying, if we read between the lines, is <laughs> you never stop being a dad or a granddad. He's essentially being both here. You never stop worrying. So he drops her off and he says immediately, what did I just do? Did I break the trust that took me a long time to get between us? Sean, you and I, neither of us have kids, but we've right. got minds and hearts. He's so clear in this. He doesn't bury it. He doesn't qualify. He's like, and I'm worried, you know, uh, that we get it. And we're talking about it. And he's learning as he goes, right? He's all in with his heart and he just figures the rest of the shit out. And there's a little bit of fuck. I hope this works. I assume. And I need other people. And here, here we have an example. There are other human beings who maybe get a little bit of what I'm going through and can help. Want to help. I wonder what it's like for someone like him to meet other people and you talk with them and you get the sense of like, they get it. Because I imagine there's not a ton of people in Jeremy's life. And I'm just, I don't know this to be true, who really get what that's like. Jeremy, you've been challenged. We want that story. (laughs) The whole time you're talking, Sean, I'm thinking about, do you have a person in your life or in your past who's, who's just so busy? No one's fucking busier than a grandfather of two with a full-time job trying to practice an art and going to the dojo. I mean, no one's busier than that guy maintaining a house in Kent, Washington, you know? And and he never pushes that out at you. That's not how you know Jeremy. You know Jeremy is someone who's trying to get better at storytelling and is doing a damn good job already. But I also get the sense that once he saw that Kylie needed a new home, he was like, I got this. And wasn't going to not succeed or not take care of his family. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I have no idea uh, how things developed and how things, because really I know this story and then I've chatted with him a few times and I know a little bit about his life. I don't want to make assumptions. I just get the sense that like at some point he's like, I'm going to do this. Yeah. And now this weekend I am giving her to some other people and man, I hope I didn't fuck this up. Yeah. I really hope she's okay. I really hope she, can you imagine Kurt? Kylie can't communicate. It says, I really hope that she doesn't think that I am letting her down. Kylie trusts him. He's worried his granddaughter is going to feel like he's not there for her. 
where are you going? Why are you leaving me here? There's no way for him to know that she doesn't feel that way. So he does everything he can. Dude, yeah, the he dude gets to live records with the songs onto a CD to make sure his granddaughter can hear his voice because that's the voice that allows her to relax. Yeah, the Dr. Seuss stories. And sleep. Yep. That's good parenting. You know, you yeah. That's a loving gesture. That's forethought. I'm thinking right. about you. I know her. She's going to be here. She's going to she's going to need the songs. What can I do? Well, I'm not going to be there. I'll record the songs. He put her in very good hands and I think sometimes it's hard to find good hands that you can trust. And maybe it took a lot for Jeremy to let go because he does say that uh, the people from a Rosie's place went so far as to visit yeah. where he lives with Kylie to make sure that they could sort of emulate or know about what she's used to. Right. Amazing. To know her better, essentially. Yeah, that's so cool. It is so cool. Very cool. Another thing that I really admire about this story is that uh, that guest book. Hi, my name is Jenny. I'm eight years old and I have a dog named Charlie and a brother named Bobby. And I live with my two parents. The part that I really like comes just after when Jeremy reflects on, shoot, Kylie will never be able to see Disney movies like Jenny and she won't be playing in the yard with a dog like that. You know, life's going to be different for this little girl. So it's like that's deep parent thinking. It's also very good storytelling because he could just tell us that, but instead he's using the book as a way to let us know that that's better storytelling. Oh, good. Because it's good in the story. Mm -hmm. He does it yeah. also when he says, and I don't know exactly what he says, something about the doctors say such and such. He could just tell us about Kylie, but he doesn't. Earlier in the story, he says something about what the doctors told him. It sounds like whatever. It's the same stuff. You're, no, it's not the same stuff. I could let you know about Kylie or I can embed it in the story from a conversation I had with a doctor or what I saw in a guest book keeps us in the story. It's important in storytelling that the teller is moving through the story and responding to what he's hearing or she is hearing or seeing, yeah. feeling. And so when he says, the doctors say, well, this is information. You're in Jeremy's shoes. You're moving through. You get to a Rosie's place after a long drive. He's given you inner monologue about being concerned. You mm -hmm. get there. You look with Jeremy at the guest book. You hear Jenny's voice as Jeremy has it. And then you get this reflection of is very parental, you know, good parent. It's like, okay, so what's my girl's life going to be like moving forward? So anyway, he, he drops her off. You get to know who Jeremy is. Who else makes a CD with Dr. Seuss stories? In the last podcast, Sean, I had this thought this morning. You, we were talking about your story. I had this thought in our conversation about how, you know, as human beings, we, it's more like we belong to, to one another than more than any institution or job or career or anything like that. It's our relationships, the relationships with one another. Well, I started to think about the importance of the Dr. Seuss stories. Because towards the end of this story, one of my favorite parts of Jeremy's story is how he's reflecting. You know, he gets to see uh, Kylie is in the room or has learned that Kylie has been surrounded by people he imagined her she'd be alone. But no, they're all want, all these little kids want to hear 
the CD of Dr. Seuss stories, this loving ritual that takes place back at Jeremy's house. And who knows if it gets to take place in any of their homes. So he says, you know, my girl, my little girl, my granddaughter, she, we have something. We have something really strong, even enviable. And I was thinking about what ritual is. And ritual is just like if we as human beings are made up of habits, a ritual is something we share together. Even though Kylie gets older and life changes, we always had that. We took time. We did this thing together. That person you took dance lessons with, that person you had weekly coffees with. I mean, these things seem innocuous, but these are like the most important, can be the most important things in one's life as memories. We took the time to do something together. And that's what I love about this friggin' story. And I'm so happy to have like this positive payoff for this guy at the end of the story. That's a mouthful, Sean. Thanks for hanging in there. <laughs> that was a lot. You go on your rants, though. You go on your, you got your rants going on. You yeah. always have one per show where you close your eyes. <laughs> I, want viewers, I want the listeners to know this. There's always a moment when we're talking for the podcast that Kurt closes his eyes <laughs> and Starts goes playing. on a, a, about a minute a minute, whatever we want to call it. It's not a rant because a rant kind of sounds like it's negative or unplanned. Like, no, it's it's like a, a little bit of a thing. And then, but when Kurt's eyes are closed, you know, like he's in the flow. Like this is the heart of his response to the story. I don't do yeah. that. I'm just like, up, oh, Kurt's in the thing. <laughs> doing his thing right now. So here's the question I have is that when we think about story, the natural starting point, the natural starting place or the default for most stories is start in the beginning. It makes the most sense. It's the way we're wired, right? It makes sense. This happened, then this happened, then this happened. It just, it's just fact. Yeah. However, Jeremy doesn't do that. We start what he's driving to pick Kylie up. It's Sunday. Then we go from Sunday to Friday. We've gone back in time, checking in and the guest book. And then we skip back to Sunday and he's at the place. Hmm. Why does he do that? Why doesn't he just start in the beginning? He could. I found that interesting. If I'm Jeremy, I'm doing that because I see the driver of this story to be my concern about this little girl. And when he's driving to pick her up, he's showing us that he's been two days alone without his little girl and that he's been worrying. So he can right. report on that on Sunday. There's this inherent drama of he's getting closer and closer to a Rosie's place and we're going to find out what he's been anxious about. Is it actually going to be true? It's interesting. Let's turn that question. You ask, you know, where does it, the story begin? Well, it begins on Friday. But as a creator, as a, the guy or gal making the story, as the person who's coming up with the story, where does the story begin? Mm -hmm. In Jeremy's shoes, I'm thinking it's that Teal is telling Jeremy that CD was genius because all the kids yeah. were gathered around wanting to hear it. Right. That is so, that's, I mean, I think that's Jeremy is driving home with Kylie and he knows he'll just, he'll just never forget that moment that there, that ritual was shared with these other people, these other kids. Yeah. I think that's what this, where the story starts for Jeremy. I think that's, that's the reason he needs to tell the story. Yeah. I think it's an interesting choice starting in the middle, then going back and then taking us through that middle to the end. I just think it's good that people think about it, that there's options and that you don't always have to start 
in the chronological beginning. Sometimes, like Jeremy did, it makes sense to start in the middle. I, 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 if nothing else, I think that's a takeaway I'd love people to just have is just, okay, there's more than just that one option. There's other options. Yeah. I like that you're, you're bringing this up because, A, I want to say that there are a lot of stories that, that work really well just chronologically. Yeah, absolutely. But, but I think one of the first things I want to talk about with people who are getting into storytelling is you have other options. One option is just to start in some other area and to jump back. Right. One thing that I learned early on was uh, you don't want to do too much jumping around. Right. You know, Correct. it can be advantageous to uh, start in the middle of the action or on the ride to a Rosie's place to sort of give a hint. Yep of what we're driving towards, you know, for the seven minute story. Yeah, totally agree. Gosh, you know, the, the whole idea of, I don't know why we come along thinking that all our stories have, have to happen, uh, like chronologically makes for some, you know, just the stories that we tell in life. It, it makes them a little tedious sometimes, you know, and people start thinking, Oh, I have to give all this background. Well, you don't, you don't have to tell us everything. You don't have and, to tell us everything and you don't have just, to start with it. You probably don't have to give us as much stuff as you think. All the background, all the, hey, you need to know this before I tell you my story, right? Nah, we don't. And don't get too cute and don't get too clever. Like jump around a little bit like Jeremy does, cool. But just understand that if you're jumping around in time, you're going to have to take us with you. So that might be thinking a little bit extra hard about your transition, right? Making it clear because that's a place, I'm getting a little story geekery here, when you start jumping around in time, if you're not really aware of that, that's a place you can lose us. So all I'm saying, I'm not giving you all the ways to do it. No, I'm saying chronological is the baseline. It's We can follow that typically like the easiest. That's how we're wired. So if you're going to start in the middle of the end, like Jeremy does, look at his story as an example of, oh, okay, he went from Sunday to Friday back to Sunday. Just look how he does it. And, and he's just making sure that you as the person who's listening to him can easily follow him. That's just, that's the only thing for me that matters. Just make sure that we can follow you. Yeah, that's the most important thing. You got yeah. it. Don't lose us. Don't lose us. Deciding where to start a story is probably one of my biggest challenges. And I'd say I get it wrong about 100% of the time, at least initially. Because my background is in written word instead of spoken word, most of the time I feel like I have to start at the beginning. I have to lay out the background and the history, describe the setting and the scene, give a bunch of context for the listener in order for them to really understand what's happening before there's any action. And what I've found that approach does is bores the hell out of my listener. By the time I've gotten through that first few minutes of description and background, their eyes have glazed over and their minds are wandering. They're no longer paying attention to what I'm saying. They're thinking about what they want to have for dinner. And that's really not the experience that I want for a listener. And so what I do, is I rewrite it. Again, about 100% of the time. I look for ways to cut out description and setting and scene and give the listener just enough information 
to kind of anchor them in time and space, let them fill in most of the details themselves, and make sure that they're right there where the action is starting, where the stakes are really being exposed, where there's a hook and the listener has some type of mystery to solve or question in their mind or something momentous that they think is going to happen that really allows them to become fully invested in the story as quickly as possible. A lot of that happens for me through sequencing the story. I'll go back on my rewrites and I'll take things that I had originally put in the beginning of the story and I'll move them further along as a flashback, as some context that they maybe need a little bit later in the story to understand, but I almost always move it from the beginning of the story to sometime later in the story to help ensure that there's that initial hook, that people are fully invested as quickly as possible so that they don't lose interest at the beginning. <laughs>